talking about how, hey, this is the greatest, the greatest ever. He's like very Italian. What I can't really do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to There Is A Lot Going On, the number one podcast in Kazakhstan. I am David Arroyo, joined once again, as always, my friend, pal, amigo, whatever you want to call him, Tom Shively. Tom, how's it going today? Those are unofficial numbers, by the way. That's we're waiting on the confirm confirmation with that. I- I'm doing okay. There's actually something I need to get off my chest, Dave. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Um, I'd like to issue an apology. Oh? I, uh, I had a tweet last night that I... Uh, I referenced a uh, fantasy football game against uh, one Mr. Jerome Taylor, who I have to preface is a huge friend of the show. Left us a review, everything five stars. Jerome Taylor, great guy. Hey, wait, wait. Before you continue, why, why, if you're listening and you're not Jerome Taylor, make sure you go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a comment with your questions. Go ahead, Tom. I, I didn't like that move because this sounds like I'm plugging the review, and this is supposed to be a genuine apology, so I don't like that. I want you to know that. Jerome, anyway. I do not apologize for being opportunistic. <laughs> anyway, Jerome, I'm sorry. I called him out because my fantasy team came back from 100 points down uh, to beat his this week, thanks to uh, a great performance by uh, Arizona Cardinals, Seattle Seahawks, who we'll touch on later. But I felt like that was unjust to Jerome. I kind of threw him under the bus. I, uh, I was very rude to him in that, and, and I don't want that to damage our relationship. And so... I'm coming clean, Jerome. I'm sorry. I know you're listening. I will be better next time. I won't call you out. Um, but And, and I, I try not to be one of those guys that's like, oh, my fantasy team, da-da-da-da-da. Because like, nobody cares about anybody else's team. Like Nobody cares. So I don't want to be that guy that's like shoving my agenda onto everybody else. But Jerome, I'm sorry. I'll be better in the future, but like 100 points, yikes. So I'll leave it at that. As a man who does like to shove his agenda down people's faces i just gotta say uh my fantasy team picked up a big win this week against a team who is just not checking so andrew destin if you listen to this podcast you should probably check your fantasy football team dak prescott is still your starting quarterback in fantasy football you paid money in the league come on now like at least pay attention to it that's not my problem he already paid like too bad listen not my problem somebody else I, i understand not my problem but I want some competition here. Come on. I mean, I don't want to just win the money for free. Granted, there are some very good teams in this league, including the... So it's a very, very interesting league, uh, if nothing else. Might have to bleep that one out, but I haven't, haven't decided what I'll do with that one yet. I don't want to win the money for free. Yeah, you're in like fifth place. Like, what do you mean? You're, like, uh, you're excuse not you. cruising I'm in, over everybody. I'm in fourth place right now. Thank you oh, very my much. Bad. My bad. I would currently face off against you in you're the first round of the for playoffs. Fourth. Okay. I just put up 170, so be careful. Listen, I, I, I'm I'm not worried, and you know what? The only team really in football who should be worried is the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks, as I've been saying all year, are fraudulent in the secondary. They proved it once again yesterday, losing to the Arizona Cardinals, 37 to 34. The play everyone was talking about after the game, of course, was DK Metcalf outrunning Buda Baker. Buda Baker. Um, Tom, who would you take in a foot race? Buda, uh, not Buda Baker. DK Metcalf or Tyree Kill? Tyree Buda. Uh, wow, I said Buda Baker and then Tyree Kill. The one I actually wanted to reference is DK Metcalf. He got the longer legs than Tyreek, so longer strides. I I'd pay to see it. I, I might take Metcalf to be honest. Now, who would you rather have in a fight, DK Metcalf or Tyree Kill? 
size again. Metcalf is like the most chiseled dude in the NFL. Like, give me that all day. Come on. See, I guess I guess it really. Oh, we don't have to bring up Tyree Kill's history. Come on, we don't have to go that route. How'd you How'd you know that's where I was going? I played my hand. Ninja team, Tyree. Yeah, come on. I, I played my hand a little too early there, Tom. The Arizona Cardinals uh, took care of business. I guess if that's the way you want to put it, they are now five and two in the NFC West. Kyler Murray played a good game. Russell Wilson uh, just giving away his MVP trophy last night with his, I, I mean, I'll just be honest, he didn't play great yesterday. Three interceptions, including that. He, he threw another red zone interception. I don't know what's up with the Seahawks and calling passes down in the red zone, like on the two-yard line, but it's become their favorite thing to do and with zero success. Uh, Tom, what did what'd you kind of make of the game last night? I'm kind of going back and forth on whether this is more on like good Cardinals or bad Seahawks. I think my ultimate conclusion is bad Seahawks because there were a lot of Cardinal moments there, especially in overtime, that you're like, this team does not deserve to win this game. And Seattle, for all of their prowess at kind of coming back late in games and kind of manufacturing ways to win, this like this has to be one that you can get. And it's even the little things where, you know, the penalty on that field goal with a few minutes left that lets Arizona go score the touchdown, they'll need to get the field goal after that, you know. There's the the holding call on the Metcalf touchdown that would have won them the game. It's like these little these little mistakes that you can't even attribute to the secondary. You mentioned the three picks from Wilson, you know, the the kind of letting Kyler Murray just run over them for twenty yards consistently to get into field goal range. And this is a team that's got concerns. And Arizona's certainly not a world beater, uh, but they played really well and a lot of errors down the stretch from Seattle. I think this reflects more badly on them than good on the Cardinals, but it's a hell of a win for Arizona. So, I just I think it reflects exactly what I talked about before the game. Kyler Murray threw for 360 yards. DeAndre Hopkins had 103 of those. They let a running back go for 87 yards. They let Larry Fitzgerald, who's 100, get 62 yards in the air. Like, I, I just don't... The Seahawks are the biggest frauds to me in football because of their defense. That defense couldn't stop a strong wind blowing through there. Like, they, they are just not good at any level of the defense. They can't get to the quarterback. They can't really intercept the quarterback. Yeah, they got one yesterday, but, you know, I I feel like they have opportunities to make plays, and they consistently do not make plays. And until I see them actually make a play, I'm not going to pick the Seattle Seahawks to win the NFC, which makes it fascinating to me because I don't know who's going to win the NFC. The NFC right now is anyone's to get at this point in the year. Yeah, Russ threw for 388 and three touchdowns. So he had a bad game. It, it, it wouldn't be he fair to say he had a bad game. But uh, but that's not a bad... Like, it's... If you threw three mistakes, interceptions, it's, it's a bad game. Was, Cam Newton had a bad game. He threw three picks. Like, Russell Wilson had a good... You, you can't... He scored 34 points. Like, that team... The offense was there. One of those picks was in overtime. So a little asterisk next to that one. But... I mean, Listen, he, he you look threw at a pick a game that, in overtime and a pick in the red zone. Those are two you, unforgivable you look at a game, picks. You look at a game that Lockett had 200 yards, 15 catches, three scores. Like, how do they lose that game? I I, I don't know. Because they're not there's good. Definitely some que- there's definitely some question marks. Side note, though, uh, first time two quarterbacks under six feet have ever both thrown for 300 yards in the same game. So that's a win for you. So congratulations on that one. Win thank for short you, people everywhere. You. Win for short people everywhere. Shout out to all my short brethren under six feet around the world. Can we talk about how tall is Kyler Murray actually? Because if Russell Wilson is like 5'11", Kyler Murray's 5'4", maybe. He's got to be the shortest quarterback in the NFL, no? Have you seen the photo of them next to each other? 
I actually haven't. No. Kyler Murray looks like his son. Like they, it, it's ridiculous. Kyler Murray. I think I could stand next to Kyler Murray, and I'd have to question my entire existence as to why I'm not playing in the NFL. Because he's the only guy in the NFL, other than maybe Boston Scott, who I have stood around, so I know how tall Boston Scott is. That makes me like. All right, here's the difference, right? Let me compare them real quick. Kyler Murray looks small in every sense of the word. Boston Scott is short, but wow, does that dude have muscles. Like, that dude would throw me across three gyms. Kyler Murray, I, I just, again, you, you blow on him too hard, he might fall over. Like, he is not a big guy. And I have to question, what was his official combine height? Because, my, my God, somebody is lying about this man. Uh, they actually don't look that bad in the picture. I don't know. I might have one angle. He looks like maybe two inches shorter than Russ. So, I think he looks so short. They claim he's five ten, and I would like to personally measure his height. I don't. I don't buy five ten. I, I give him five eight. I'll give him five eight. So, all right. I don't so know I've... if I'm willing to go much much lower than that, but I, I'm buying you on like the the thinness that he doesn't really have a lot of muscle. He doesn't look like an NFL quarterback, is what I'm saying. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested because this is a lot of what people said about Wilson when he came in, and he's done nothing but dominate the league. So do you think he has that kind of potential? I think he showed a little bit of that last night now that he kind of has the offensive system that you can build around. He's just so like he's just so up and down though. Like the week before against the Cowboys, he only threw for 188 yards. His completion percentage was below 40 percent, and that's a bad Dallas secondary. Like he just strikes me as so in terms of passing the ball, such a roller coaster right now. Like another bad secondary Carolina, he only threw for 133 yards. Like I, I think right now he's very inconsistent. Where Russell Wilson kind of had time to grow into it. And, you know, Wilson could rely on that defense a little bit. They relied on his legs in the run game. And they're doing that a little bit with Kyler. But I think he's asked to do a little bit more. And that could benefit him in the long run. But uh, Kyler Murray has this ability that Russell Wilson also has that I'm very impressed by, which is he has this ability not to get hit. He's so fast and knows when to get down. You know, that baseball background for both of them, they don't get hit. And so his size, you know, I made fun of him for it, but I'm not actually concerned about his size and having durability in the NFL. My only concern is seeing over offensive lines. And so far he's shown he doesn't, that's not really a concern. So his ceiling is really, I don't think it's as high as Russell Wilson because I think he's one of the best quarterbacks ever. But, I mean, he's realistically a perennial pro bowler if he stays in this system. I think Murray got a little bit of a pass in this game for a really bad pick right after Russ threw one, uh, like going into that inconsistency that you said. I think he has a better offense, at least receiving core, that Russ ever had in Seattle. So this is going to be interesting to see what he can do with that. Obviously, we got to wait to see what happens with Kenyon Drake, how serious that injury is going to be. But... It's a dangerous offense, and they're inconsistent, but like when they're clicking like they were last night, it's a fun team to watch, and they, they could surprise some people. Yeah, their, their defense just kind of needs to figure it out. And, you know, kind of like you said, once, once that defense starts to click a little bit more, I think it's a team that you can kind of take more seriously. But, you know, they, they made some plays last night. I just don't expect that from them week in and week out. And, you know, I, I hope that becomes the normal because the Cardinals are a really fun team. But... Again, as of right now, that's probably not what I expect from from the Cardinals. Uh, Tom, game of the week last week for both of us, we 
gave official predictions for it. You were right. I was wrong. I'll say it on the pod. Uh, the Steelers bested the Tennessee Titans 27-24. to uh, Pretty good game, it appears. I mean, truthfully, I didn't watch it. Caught the highlights. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, though, kind of, I would say, maybe his worst game of the year. He threw three interceptions in this game. Um, Ryan Tannehill, kind of, again, up and down, kind of back to back to earth Ryan Tannehill, but he was, was playing maybe the best defense in football. Um you know, Derrick Henry, 20 carries, 75 yards, a touchdown. What, what were your overall impressions of this game? You know, Steelers now the only undefeated team left in football. I think, I think it's very hard to play a terrible second half and win a football game. And it takes a really good team to play badly and win, if that makes any sense. And I think Pittsburgh was horrendous in the second half. I want to say they scored three points in the second half. They were up 17 at one point on Tennessee, They but they hang on to win. And... You know, Tennessee never quite got the offense going. Like, when they were going up against Houston, obviously Houston not quite as good as Pittsburgh, but they get down and then they kind of had the chances to come back and they took those opportunities. They weren't there against the Steelers. You know, you mentioned the turnovers from Ben. This Tennessee secondary kind of gets sleeped on with Bard and, and Butler, and that's Sleeped? maybe the best. Slept, I think is the word you're looking for. Oh, slept on, yes. Yeah. So what did I slept on? Slept on. I guess slept on, sorry. We should, we should and, start you know, naming these words we make up. That We should call them Talgoisms. Sleeped? Okay. All right. Well, yeah, we'll make a list for that one. But it, it takes a good team to win when they don't play well, and that's what they did, and that's what they've done a little bit against Houston, Denver, obviously not the caliber teams that the Titans are, but anytime you're 2-5-0 matchup and you go in there and win on the road, it, it, it means a lot to the Steelers, and they are going to be a force. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one caveat to it all is they won because the, I think statistically, like one of the worst kickers in football this year. He's been better since that first week, but Guskowski missed another kick. And, you know, it would have tied the game, gone to overtime, and the Titans had all the momentum at that point. They would have had 20 points, unan- well, not unanswered, I don't think, but they would have had 20 second half points. I just, I, I think... The concerns about Big Ben kind of showed themselves yesterday where you're a little concerned about his consistency. And that's always been the thing with Big Ben. He's going to let it rip, which means he might throw some interceptions. So I I think there's some room to be concerned. But man, that Pittsburgh defense is legit. And even though they they barely won that game, holding a Tennessee offense to 24 that had kind of been dominating while your offense continually gives the ball away, I think that's impressive. You know, they're holding them to field goals, not touchdowns. Earlier in the game, they were forcing them to punt. That first half was just a clinic by that defense. And when Pittsburgh's clicking, uh, I think it might be hard to argue that they're not the best team in football. They don't have... I think it's them and the Chiefs right now. I don't. They don't have quite the offensive explosion that the Chiefs do. They can kind of bail you out of games when you're not playing well. And... I think the Chiefs can play one good quarter and win a game. I don't know if the Steelers can do that. And I think that is kind of the edge that Kansas City has. And they even have, I think the Steelers even have a little bit of Ravens in them. If they fall behind, it's going to be hard for them to come back. Where Kansas City, time and time again, has been like, okay, we're down 10, doesn't matter. So I, they don't play in the regular season. I would have liked to see that. But the Steelers do play the Ravens next week. So I think we'll touch on that one a little bit later. But that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, I, th- I think we'll learn a lot about the Steelers based on next week. But... We'll kind of save that discussion for a little later. Uh, Tom, the other matchup and the final matchup we wanted to talk about from this week, 
involved uh, a team we've talked about a couple times. We threw them some praise early in the year, and wow, were we eating up uh, whatever they were serving us because we were dead wrong. The San Francisco 49ers absolutely shellacked the New England Patriots yesterday, 33-6. to Jimmy Garoppolo played terrible. He threw two interceptions. Didn't matter. San Francisco still ran away with it anyway. Brandon Ayuk had six catches for 115 yards. Man, the Patriots wish they had a wide receiver like that. Cam Newton threw three interceptions, was benched. He was only nine for 15 for 98 yards. I mean, just an all-around awful performance from the Patriots. Thomas, the resident Patriots fan, I need your reaction for this one. This is uh, this is the most disappointing loss I think I've ever seen from the New England Patriots. This blows uh, the this blows the we're on to Cincinnati game from the Chiefs out of the water. This even blows last week out of the water. I think I actually think they were better last week when they lost to the Broncos than they were this week. Yikes! A lot of those issues are manifesting with Cam that you know people kind of weren't a hundred percent sold on him in Carolina. You know we were talking at the beginning of the year. This was so obvious for the Patch. You know how could nobody else get Cam? He's such a good fit. He's such a great quarterback. And here we are. Eh, maybe not. You know maybe maybe everybody else was right and because you're so used to seeing every move work out with the Patriots and. It, this it just hasn't clicked yet you know maybe the health isn't all there for cam that's certainly an option but but you can't blame just cam newton 33 to 6 i think you need more weapons on offense that they've kind of been able to skate by with tom brady for the last couple of years without their best weapons and without even an ayuk type receiver you know they obviously didn't have a julio jones type receiver but even one of those you know, top 20, maybe, but not top 10 receivers. They, they really, you need one of those to be competitive in the NFL. And they're not a Super Bowl contender. They are, in, I mean, if they lose to the Bills next week, that's a wrap. They're, they're not going to make the playoffs if they lose next week to Buffalo. I think if they win, they have a chance, but the schedule is still difficult. They've got the Rams and the Cardinals still out west. They've got the Ravens on the schedule next week. So hopefully they get a little banged up against the Steelers. I, I would never root for that. I didn't mean that, but we're going to learn a lot. And I think, I think in terms of Cam's leash, he'll be starting this week. And then I think he gets the start against Baltimore just because you don't want to necessarily throw a Jarrett Stidham in there early, but I don't know if anybody's surprised if they lose these next two games, they're not going to be favorites in either one of them. You know, they're staring two and six in the face. And then you're asking, you know, what about next season? You know, what what's the Belichick's future? What's Cam Newton's future? I think all of these questions are just naturally starting to to manifest, and they were always kind of there since Brady left. But this is the moment that's like, wow, this team is not good, and the defense is obviously missing some pieces. But uh, who was it? Jeff Wilson ran for three touchdowns against them. Like, who is that? And they're just letting these other guys just do whatever they want against them on defense. So. There's concern, and uh, right now they're not a playoff team, and it, it feels weird to say, but that's the truth. San Francisco's super wild to me because they just pull these guys who I've never heard of to play running back, and they all run for 100 yards. Like I don't know where they're getting these guys from. It's like the uh, it's like the Steelers with the wide receivers. It's the 49ers running back room. Like there's something going on there that they just find people. If you combined Patrick Mahomes with the Steelers wide receivers and the 49ers running backs, you'd have the greatest offense in NFL history. Like that, just unstoppable. Uh, Cam Newton, you kind of mentioned it. Two touchdowns, seven interceptions on the year. Might not be the answer at quarterback, but I I tweeted this uh, after the game yesterday. Follow me at underscore Royal David if you're not already. Uh, he, this was always a 
kind of win-win scenario for Bill Belichick in my eyes. Because if Cam Newton played up to the best of Cam Newton, they were a Super Bowl contender. And everyone was doing what we were doing early in the year where, oh, how could the Patriots get this guy? The league let the Patriots get Cam MVP Cam Newton. And if it went poorly, it was, oh, well, we have a top 10 draft pick. Awesome. Like, either way, it was going to be a win. And so if they continue to be bad and you have to go to Jared Stidham anyway, who I'm not sure is going to be better than Cam Newton, are you looking at like a 3-13 and 13 and a top 5 pick? Because if you have a top 5 pick, uh, can you get one of the three quarterbacks in this draft? And that is where it gets very intriguing, is if the Patriots can get one of, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance, I, I think... I think they're right back within a year or two to be in the New England Patriots. And I think that's the scary part is no matter how this poorly this seems to be going now, you always in the back of your mind are like, oh, well, Bill Belichick's got a plan. They'll, they'll figure this out. I, I, I think Lawrence is out of the question because this dream 3-13 and 13 scenario involves him losing at least once to the Jets, which I, I don't know if they can do that. Um Fields would be interesting in that system with, with how mobile he is, and he's got a little bit of Murray in him. Who maybe he's not going to be. I mean, he's still Murray still won Rookie of the Year last year. Like the team wasn't good, but Kyler Murray was a good player. And I, he, like Fields, I keep thinking Kyler when I watch Fields play. He's got like that little bit of escapability, and that's kind of the comparison that I keep drawing. So it'd be interesting to see how that fits in a Belichick system, which is about as opposite from a Cliff Kingsbury system as you can have, but. That's kind of the way the league is going, and you know the Tom Brady's of the world are phasing out, and so if if they can get somebody like that, like you mentioned, it's the the Patriot way. They're just they're just going to find, and it may not be next year, but they can certainly. Nobody would be shocked if they're contenders within the next couple of years, but it's not looking like this is the year. Cam is not looking like the answer. By my count, right now they'd pick tenth if the draft happened right now uh let's real quick go through the teams that are ahead of them the jets probably in a quarterback market um i guess it could go either way but you would expect them to be in a quarterback market sam Darnold could be available for them that'd be interesting i mean they they have to take lawrence the jets i think have to take lawrence the falcons would pick second right now uh is matt ryan a candidate to go to the patriots interesting thought i don't think he'd be any better than he is in atlanta considering there's no weapons in new england the Giants, I think, would be in line for a quarterback. The Jaguars. The Texans don't need a quarterback. That's the first team. So number five Texans don't need a quarterback. But by our math, the three best quarterbacks are already off the board. Uh, yeah. So like it, I think no matter what, you need a top three pick to get one of these quarterbacks. And I don't know if they'll be bad enough to actually get that high in the draft. So well, we'll see. Maybe, you know, maybe it's one of those things where Belichick gets a great defensive player, considering that is his bread and butter anyway. And all this is a moot point and, you know, doesn't really matter. Uh, it'd, it'd be very Belichick to beat the Bills next week. The Bills were terrible against the Jets. So I, I, I've i always said this Bills team was kind of fraudy from the start. Um, and they didn't look great. Josh Allen did not look great. Had a couple questionable throws. The defense was really good, but it's the Jets offense. So I think that they had like a quick 10, didn't score the rest of the game. But... Again, if they win, they're right back there. But it's just that there's not enough to. This is this is a this is a scenario. If they win the division, it's because the division is bad, not because the Patriots are good. So 
that that's their that's their window into the playoffs. I don't think they have any chance of getting a wild card. Yeah, I mean, they're you know they're going to zone it up against Josh Allen the same way they did Patrick Mahomes and just you know force him to kind of read the defense and figure out what is happening on the fly, like they do with every single young quarterback that ever walks in there to play Bill Belichick. Uh, Tom, let's talk about the one game next week we wanted to talk about. Steelers-Ravens, we kind of mentioned it a little bit. The Ravens, of note, coming off of a bye this week. Uh, They are my fantasy football defense, so shout out to the Ravens. They've been killing it this year in fantasy football, but that brings me to my point about their defense, which is they create a lot of turnovers, forced fumbles, a lot of interceptions. They they just find a way to take the ball away. And the Steelers last week just had a lot of issues holding on to the ball. So it, it's a really interesting matchup to me uh, between, you know, before the year, a lot of people's Super Bowl favorites and kind of the sleeper team for a lot of people. The Steelers were a lot of people's, this team could be good, but I'm not going to pick them. So how do you kind of see this matchup, you know, the 6-0 and Steelers, the 5-1 and Ravens? Uh, turnovers are obviously got to be number one for Tomlin in practice this week. Ball security drills starting Saturday morning from last week. It should have been, but I, I'm interested to see what Ben does against that defense because they have the deep threat capabilities, and I don't know if Baltimore is there in the secondary like they have been in years past. I think if you're going to beat them, it's over the top. And Juju's obviously got speed. They've got Claypool, who's kind of quiet. Deontay Johnson kind of emerged last week. If they can get a couple of those guys going, James Washington is really fast. Get a couple deep shots in. You know, there's always questions with Big Ben's arm, but that that's the ticket to the Steelers is they almost have to play it like Tennessee and get way up and just kind of rely on the defense slash Baltimore's inability to come back to hang on in that game. I, th- I think this is one of those whoever's ahead at halftime is going to win. So the game will be decided in the first half. I don't really see second half adjustments playing a lot of a factor in this game. I think something interesting the Steelers could deploy here is using Minka Fitzpatrick as an exclusive spy on Lamar Jackson. Because hear me out here, right? Their offense runs through Lamar Jackson. Their best receiver is a tight end. You're not going to waste your best secondary player on a tight end. They're not a team who really takes shots deep. You know, Hollywood Brown maybe now and then might run deep, but I think they got the guys to still match up with that. And you can kind of use Minka Fitzpatrick as the guy to, you know, shadow Lamar Jackson. Don't ever let him get big runs. Or you can always just always have those guys pin their ears back and go. And that's kind of their two strategies to me to win. But J.J. Watt and Bud Dupree just kind of wreak havoc or have Minka Fitzpatrick constantly spying Lamar Jackson. But if the Ravens get a lead here, I I am kind of with you. I don't, I don't see them giving up that lead because of that defense's ability to make big plays. Because once you have that lead, I think they can begin to, you know, just go after the ball aggressively like we know the Ravens want to. Yeah, I don't. I mean, again, I think this kind of comes down to not necessarily adjustments, but just how you get off to start. And the winner of this game has a great chance to be the number one seed. And we know how important that is this year with the bye. So uh, this is maybe the game of the year so far. There's a lot to play for. We said Steelers Titans last week, but when you're anytime you're looking at number one seed versus a wild card team, which is whoever, obviously one of these two teams is going to be a wild card team, and have to probably go play the Buffalo Bills or somebody in the first round. It's a big game, and it's week eight, but 
Uh, I, I think this tells us more about the Steelers and the Ravens because I think the Ravens, there's more knowns about them than, than Pittsburgh. There's a lot less a lot less certainty with the Steelers, even though they're 6-0. If the playoffs started right now, the Steelers would get the bye. The Bills would play the Ravens, so I think we could comfortably say the Ravens would probably win that game. Uh, but we're talking about this week, Tom. The Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites over the Steelers right now. Over-unders at 47 for those who care, as according to ESPN's website. Uh, Tom, who you got this week, Steelers or Ravens? Come on, man. I got to ride the steel curtain. Give me that terrible towel. Plus three and a half. You're undefeated team. You're giving me you're giving me underdog status. Get out of here. I'm taking the Steelers three and a half. Because they're coming off a bye, and I like I like John Harbaugh a lot off of a bye. I'm go, I'm gonna go with the Ravens in this one. I I think they're gonna I think they're gonna elect to get the ball early. I think they're gonna try and get up big, try and get the defense to force a couple turnovers, which I think they will against Big Ben. And I I just love that defensive front in Baltimore. And I think it's just going to be really hard to get anything going. I think they're going to be forced to throw the football. And I expect the Ravens to come in with a couple takeaways. I, I like the Ravens. If I was a betting man, I'd probably bet the Steelers. Because like you said, that, that three and a half, I don't, I don't know if they're that much. It's a close game. I mean, they're saying it's a little more than a field goal, you know, field goal game. But I, I don't know. I, I It's an interesting interesting uh line there but i like the ravens in this one uh tom moving on to uh, the biggest embarrassment of the week in the football world and oh man i don't even i don't even want to talk about them it's it's our let's let's say our uh just to irritate our friends our penn state nittany lions they fell to the indiana hoosiers in what might be I mean, so far, game of the year in college football, potential to be the best game of the season. Uh, Indiana took them down 36-35. to 35. Penn State this week fell 10 spots from 8 to 18, one spot behind the Indiana Hoosiers at 17. Uh, Tom, just kind of your initial thoughts. I, I guess we'll start with that play at the end of the game. You know, Michael uh, Penix Jr., he is one letter off from a very unfortunate name, but Michael Penix Jr., uh, goes, dives for the end zone, ball hits out of bounds as it hits the plane. They rule two-point conversion to be good. Indiana wins. What is your assessment of the play? Um, I thought the call on the field was too close to overturn, so I'm not surprised that I, I thought he I thought he did hit the line first before he hit the pylon, but. I think the call on the field has to stand in that situation, and that's what it does. So I don't necessarily blame the officials like a lot of Penn State fans would. I, I think that's the right call in review in the moment, and it's obviously a tough way to lose by, by that much of a margin. Uh, when you when your offense gives you as much as they did late in the game, uh, and obviously all the kind of situations that led up to that is a frustrating way to lose a season opener that you know you haven't seen the team play in ten months. It's you're excited for the season. This is a team that people are saying national championship potential, but it is so Penn State to lose that game. And I there are so many things that went wrong there. But for the final play, I think right call. Can can we talk about? Uh, I I agree with you on the final play, so I don't really want to talk about it anymore. But that Penn State offense was. It, it was very reminiscent of when we were freshmen in 2015 of just a lot of predictability where, you know, pretty consistently, even though it was kind of working, I 
I was often sitting on the couch and just being like, up oh, QB draw, here it comes. Like, and that's what we used to do at games, where I'd be like, up oh, read option, here it comes. And it, it, the offense, if we can see that coming from home, then obviously the defense can see what's coming from Indiana. So I, I just think, I think the offense was super bland, very stale. And for an offense that was hyped up all off season for bringing in a new offensive coordinator, I, I mean, yes, he didn't have the whole offseason to work with his guys, but that was a very disappointing showing from the offense. And if that's what the offense is going to be this year, Ohio State's going to shellac them next week. This is the problem I have with people ripping apart the offense, though, is A, it's the first game of a new system, and I think people are too quick to kind of rip at the system that they have yet to pursue at all in game action. And number two is what more do you want them to do in the second half? You know, they go down there, they get in field goal range on their, if, if it wasn't their first drive, it was their second drive. Pinninger misses the, there's like a 47-yarder after he missed the 25-yarder right at the end of the half, which was... You got like those backwards. Inexplic- which, which was inexplicable. No, 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 the one at the end of the half was the 25-yarder. Oh, I thought it was the other way around. No, 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 because they fumbled inside the 10, and then Indiana fumbled, and then they missed the field goal. All right, let me, let me peep. Go ahead. Then Sean Clifford has that nice run. They get the touchdown at the end of the third quarter. They're down by three. Then they drive right at the end of the game to go up one, clutch drive. And then you can say what you will about the the Ford touchdown. I think college kid sees the end zone. It is what it is. You know, you, you can teach that all you want, but I think you're so used to just running and finishing a play that I, I'm still surprised more when players fall down than when they run into the end zone. And I think it's a little unfair to Ford to kind of rip him for for not going in there. And you see he kind of hesitate a little bit. It's not like he didn't know. But then they score in overtime. They score a touchdown. They kick the extra point in overtime, which is which is what you have to do when you're the first team that gets the ball. And so I, I think they played basically perfectly in the second half on offense. And it falls more so on the defense. Because, yeah, you can say the offense had all those errors in the first half. They should have been up by more. But you got to make a stop on one of those two-point conversions. you got to make a stop when Indiana drives – the entire length of the field right there at the end of the game. Like one of those three things has to happen to win this game. And, you know, when you got guys like Lamont Wade in that secondary, he was great in the first half and he kind of disappeared in the second half. So it's, I think the defense is getting a little bit of a pass here. As somebody who has not been James Franklin's biggest fan, I am very on record of that with many people. I, I think this loss should be more on James Franklin. He's not getting the necessary heat that I think he should be because it's his job to make sure that Devin Ford knows not to go into the end zone there. It's his job to put out the kicker who he believes has the best opportunity to give them a chance to win. It's his job to put the staff together. It's his job to do all these things that he frankly has not done a great job of outside of the year that they won the Big Ten. And this team continually comes up short in situation after situation. And there are always things where it's like, oh man, situational football. If this had done this one thing differently, they would have won that game. At what point is it the coach's fault that they're not doing those things that we keep talking about? Like, I, I just, it, it's got to be on James Franklin on some level for Devin Ford not knowing, or at least not knowing soon enough to fall down in that scenario. The funny thing with me in Penn State is a lot of their... It seems like they lose many more close games than they win. And obviously, they you know they win like 11, 11, 9, 11, whatever the last four years. But 
it never seems to go the other way. And this is kind of what you're doing with Franklin. And obviously you got the two easy examples in Ohio State, 17 and 18, where they blow the huge lead in 17. They don't convert in 18 after giving up the two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Even like the Michigan State game in 17, you know, when they – the rainy, like weird three-hour delay game, they had chances to win that one. Going back to Minnesota, they certainly had chances to win that last year. And then this, this game is just – Iowa seems to be the only team that they can that they can pull the rabbit out of the hat against, and I, and I don't understand why. But uh, shout out the the um, garden shed at the University of Iowa one time it was a shout great time. Out. But I just it, I don't think this team deserved to win that game. They didn't play very well, and the recruiting classes aren't getting better. So you kind of have to wonder where is this team? And, and I think we hit on this a little bit last week: is they'll never be Ohio State and people still kind of have this expectation that they will be, they're just so far apart, and this week proved proved a lot of that, and I think next week we'll learn some more about how distant this team is from uh, their, their friends in Columbus. All right, so this is my final point on this, and I'll kind of leave it at this, but I think the reason so many people think this is a team that should have championship expectations is because that is the expectation James Franklin has set as the head coach of the Penn State football team. When they lost a couple years ago by one point to Ohio State, he gave that speech about, you know, we we don't have the guys. We're, we're not them yet. We're going to be them, but we're not them yet. And, you know, we, we got to gotta keep working. And, you know, it's the question, you know, whatever he said, whatever BS he set up and down that press conference that I didn't believe a word of. And he's gotten people to buy into this idea that, you know, they're so close. They're right there. They are nowhere close to Ohio State right now. Nowhere close to Alabama right now. Nowhere close to Clemson right now. And those are the teams you're competing with. Like, on a neutral field, they would get slammed by those teams. And if that is the expectation you're going to set, and you're not going to meet that expectation, then at some point you have to ask, is this the right coach for the job? I have often felt that if if all you want is 10-11 wins... He is the perfect coach. Keep him. You'll compete once every 10 years, as Penn State has historically done. And you can keep doing that for the rest of existence until he decides he doesn't want to be there anymore. But if your actual goal is to win a national championship, James Franklin is not going to win you a national championship. Who's there, though? Like, Who do you get to take the next step? I, I don't know if you can really... I don't know if you can really grow this program at all. That's the thing. I'm happy you brought this up because I brought this up to other people as well. I don't know if there's a better option out there. I'm just bring. I'm just saying that I have been told that this is a potentially national championship level team in the near future, and not once have I ever seen that. Not once. You know, the t- people always talk about 2016. They should have made the playoff. They should have beat Pitt, and then they would have made the playoff. Like it's that simple. Like Se- seventeen. Seventeen was the closer year to me. I-, I think they had a much better team in seventeen, and that you can't blow that seventeen point lead against the Buckeyes like that. They're a playoff team if they don't do that. I think that's even worse than what they did against Pitt. So and then you can't go out the next week and not show up to play against Michigan State. It's they wouldn't it, know. It would have mattered even if they won that game. I don't think it would have mattered. But my my point stands that to me, these are all situations where James Franklin didn't have his team ready for the moment and. At one point, are we going to hold his feet to the fire? Because I don't think anyone wants to hold his feet to the fire for whatever reason. I don't know what that reason is, but it's very peculiar to me, and I'll kind of leave it at that. I think we both think Ohio State's going to kill them next week, so game day will be there. It'll be fun. Minus 11, I think, is free money. Give me the Buckeyes. 
Yeah, honestly, they'll win by like 20. Started at eight. It jumped three points within minutes. Uh, Tom, we're going to end the show, I think, with the the greatest segment known to man, the one, the only, it's returned, Cash or Trash. Tom, we, we were trying really hard to think up of an idea. Uh, I have committed to trying to make intro music for this show again because this segment, show, segment, I mean, we have intro music, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm trying to say. Intro, intro for the segment, I got you. For Cash or Trash, we, we miss it. We wanted to bring it back, and what better moment than hearing about a press conference blunder today than to do cash or trashes for press conference performances. So I will tell you the press conference person, their performance in the press conference, and you will tell me cash or trash. Tom, do you understand, and are you ready? I feel like I'm on trial, but yes, I do understand, and I am ready. I mean, you might be on trial. Tom, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a bagel and uh, some apple toaster strudels. It was a oh, great so you breakfast. ate something on the go. So you weren't at your house between the hours of eight and nine this morning. Okay, Tom. Actually, it was. I, I drove back up from Virginia this morning. I'm, and I'm not doing. I, I'm not doing this bit anymore. Okay, you're not giving me the full one. All right. No, no, but I'm not doing this bit anymore. Tom, we're gonna go to cash or trash. Let's start with the first one, the one that inspired us today. Mike Nolan, defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. That is his name, right, Mike Nolan? I think. Uh, I'm going to go with that's his name. So I don't know his name. Mike Nolan, I'm going to check why you answer, but Mike Nolan, defensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys, he got hot sauce in his eye during his weekly presser, uh, Tabasco, allegedly. Uh, So, Tom, having to stop your press conference because you got hot sauce in your eye, Mike Nolan's hot sauce press conference, was it a cash or trash performance? I think there's a lot to unpack here. Number one is, is... why are you eating during the press conference? I think that's question A. And question 1A, 1B, question 1B is what was he eating with the Tabasco? And I, I think that's more of what we want to get at. And I don't imagine uh, a Dallas Cowboys coach has the, the best taste in, in food. And he's probably the kind of guy that thinks Tabasco is, you know, that's my limit. I'm going to add a little bit of Tabasco and we're going to we're going to see how it uh, affects the intestines in a couple hours. You know, we're, we're going to be a little dangerous this weekend and add two drops of Tabasco. So I'm going trash. Get out of here. You're on, your team stinks. Tabasco is not even better than Cholula. Get out of here. Like, the food was probably terrible. Get trash. I mean, trash for a lot of the reasons you said, but the number one reason, if you're going to get any hot sauce in your eye, it can't be Tabasco. Tabasco's awful. It's not even good. It's watery hot sauce that makes everything you put it on worse. Like, I've never put Tabasco sauce on something and gone, oh, yes, this has really enhanced the flavor of this food I'm eating. Do, do we figure out Dallas? Do they just put Tabasco on the team and that's why they're bad this year? Like, Oh. Is that, is, I, that this, is that the answer? So is that the reason why they didn't stick up for their quarterback after a dirty hit? Could be. We're just going to blame the hot sauce from now on. I mean, an absolutely cowardice performance there by the Dallas Cowboys. Nothing I love to see more than the cowardice of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, And they gave another cowardice press conference that we both think is trash. Tom, let's talk about a legendary press conference that you and I both love with great admiration. Um, I don't know what year it was, but it was toward the end of his presidency. George Bush got a shoe thrown at him during a press conference overseas somewhere in the Middle East. He dodged the first shoe, gave a smile, and then a second shoe was thrown before this man was uh, tackled by Secret Service. Tom, George Bush dodging shoes at his press conference. Cash or trash? 
Say what you will about George Bush, the president. Um, George Bush, the elusive shoe target, I, I, I think is cash. And the, the best part about this story, though, is the, the guy that actually threw the shoe will like, go out of his way on Twitter now to respond to anyone who says, like, man, I really miss the guy that threw the shoe at George Bush. You're like, hey, does anybody remember the guy that threw the shoe at George Bush? He's always like, yeah, I'm right here. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I still feel... I still hate him, but yeah, I'm right here. I appreciate the recognition. So cash, George Bush cash, shoe guy cash, just all around, all around cash. There are so many, uh, so I agree cash. There are so many great things about the video though. Number one of which is him ducking it and just getting back up with that smile of gotcha. And like the second shoe, not even be anywhere close to the first, like the first one had a chance. And then the second shoe is airmailed right over his head in one of the most unathletic things I've ever seen in my life. It, it was, it was gold. It's, it's, there has never been a greater presidential press conference in history. I mean, Obama's tan suit was great. Uh, Nothing about this presidency has been great. But wow, the George Bush dodging a shoe is oh, just beautiful. That is so cash. Uh, Tom, speaking of people potentially embarrassing themselves, uh, Terrell Owens, some 12 years ago at this point, I think it was, something like 10 to 12 years ago, was up on a podium after a football game crying, telling the world that that's his quarterback. His quarterback, of course, being Tony Romo. That's my quarterback, as he cried on the podium. So, Tom... Terrell Owens crying at the podium for Tony Romo. Cash or trash? Tony Romo, I think, was very underrated in uh, his time in Dallas. The team, the team, I don't think, was really ever good enough to win a Super Bowl, even though that was just naturally the expectations in Dallas. I always like to see players that support other players, and I like theatrics in a press conference. I think there needs to be a little bit of... I, I think every press conference should have an aspect that makes it memorable, and... The crying from T.O. is a nice touch. It's dramatic. It shows passion. It's like a well-written play. I like it. I'm going cash. You know, this is trash, and it's trash for one reason. Terrell Owens is better than this. This was the man doing sit-ups in his driveway. He was the man telling everyone, get their popcorn ready. Like, he's got so much better material in the bag, and he's up there, "That's that's my quarterback. And, like, come, he's got so much better material, like... The man who was feuding with his quarterback not like five years earlier came out there crying for his quarterback. I, I expect so much more from Hall of Famer Terrell Owens, and for that reason, it's trash. But like that's peak T.O. is just to be unexpected and just do these random things. Are you, are you saying he's above it? I don't think Terrell Owens has ever been above anything. Listen, if, if T.O. had gotten up there and started doing sit-ups after his, this loss and started crying... 10 times better. There are a lot of ways you can spice this up a little bit. Okay. And just standing up there crying with the sunglasses on, you know, his, his, I don't even know how to describe what he's wearing in that situation, but it's just not great. Not great. That, that's, that's trash. Tom, this one, uh, you brought this one to my attention. I had never seen this before. So Eli Manning, a few years ago after a game, I believe against the Eagles, uh, came strolling out for his press conference to a room of nobody to which a man shortly after comes strolling in, sits down, and Eli Manning does a press conference for one person. So Eli Manning's one-person press conference, cash or trash? I don't get it because, like, the New York media is large, has to be extensive. I'm sure there were several beat writers at that game. 
like, how do you not go to that press conference if I would assume they lost? I'm sure they did. I, they probably got blown out. But like, how do you not get a bite from Eli after that game? So just because the reporter performance, like you have to be there at the presser. It's part of the job. Eli showed up because it's part of the job. You have to be there. Trash. All right. So you're right on everything. But it's cash because of the opposite reason of Tony uh, Terrell Owens. It's very on brand for Eli Manning to do a press conference for one person. He just he just felt too bad. He's like, I mean, this guy showed up. I, I got it. I got to do it because he stood there for a second. You saw him. If you watch the video, go go find it. He looks to the door, and then he turns back and looks at the guy, and decides, all right, I I got to do this press conference. And I I just think it's gold. It's gold. The fact he did that. So that's got to be cash. Do we think it's more Eli, I have to do the presser, or the reporter, oh, there's nobody in there, somebody has to ask him a question, and he just rushes in real quick? I think it was more, the, the reporter didn't walk in with any vigor to his step, though. Like He, okay. he showed up like he was on time, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Eli staying to do the presser is more, uh, more on brand there, so uh, it's very cash. I thought it was beautiful. Uh, Tom. Marshawn Lynch has a very famous press conference at the Super Bowl in which he sat around a field of reporters, again, at the Super Bowl, and told them all that he's just there so he doesn't get fined. The famous, I'm just here so I don't get fined, quote, that press conference, Tom, cash trash. I'm, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid on this one. I know a lot of people love that. That's going to become synonymous with Marshawn Lynch. But I think there's a line between getting asked bad questions and kind of pawning them off. Like Russell Westbrook has done in a few press conferences where people just asked him bad questions or, you know, like LeBron's walked out before every big name's kind of walked out after a bad question. But like these guys are asking legitimate questions to Marshawn Lynch and he's, I'm sure so I won't get fined or yeah, or, you know, whatever he's saying or Skittles, whatever the, the it's corny to me. It's kind of a cop out and, I think the least you can do is answer a couple of the questions. And yeah, we don't expect that from Marshawn Lynch. That's kind of that's kind of his identity, but a little bit of a cop out, trash. So I'm gonna go cash because if you if you think of Marshawn Lynch, this always comes to mind. And to me it has to be cash for that reason. Things I think of when I think of Marshawn Lynch. You ready? I think when he's at Cal driving around on the golf cart, that's that's gotta be number one Marshawn Lynch moment. I think his love of Skittles has got to be in the top five. His backwards jump into the end zone after his amazing touchdown run against the Saints. And then this. This is the next thing I think of when I think of Marshawn Lynch. And so to not say it's cash is a disrespect to Marshawn Lynch, the man. Because he can give you a good press conference. He's shown you that before. He just made the active point to prove his point here, which is I do not have a choice in this matter. I have to be here. And so I'm just going to let you know why I'm here. And I love it. Cash. If I was a reporter there, I would have hated it, though. I just want to I want to put that out there. I would have been furious as to not get any sound at, when I have so many options of other guys to talk to. I just think it's disrespectful when, like, you have these people that come in and, you know, they're asking you legitimate questions. It's not, like I said, they're not saying anything ridiculous and you just, I'm sure someone won't get fined. Like, it, it's lazy. It's lazy. And, and. Marshawn was, people could say he was lazy. He was a great running back. But uh, one you forgot in the top five, though, is the, his face after they throw it in the Super Bowl. Like, that, that, that's got to round out the top five. That's the, that's the memory because I've watched the highlight a million times. That's the memory that I think of with Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, that, that's a good one. I'd forgotten about that one. Uh, 
Tom, this one, we weren't quite sure if it was a press conference, but we included it into press conferences. This man's had a lot of good ones. Uh, it's LeBron James. I kind of want to go through his other good ones real quick before we get to this one. Uh, when he was down 3-1 in the finals, Clay Thompson said he had his feelings hurt, and he laughed at Clay Thompson at the podium. The other one that came to mind just now, and now it's leaving my mind again, LeBron James is another really good press conference moment that I'm, I'm going to get back to. Oh, uh, when he's introduced as a member of the Miami Heat, you know, not one, not two, not three. That's that's a press conference. Is it? That's but, kind of a hype thing. That's I don't know if that's a press conference. I think the Heat called it a press conference. So I'm going to go with it was a press. I, I don't know. It's not really, but let's it, we're not talking about it anyway, so it doesn't matter. This one, again, borderline, but we counted it because it's a one-on-one interview, but I think it counts because he's announcing something to the press. LeBron James and his The Decision. We all know it. We all either love it or hate it. Tom, The Decision, cash trash. It is It is quintessential LeBron James. I, I don't think the LeBron James story is complete without The Decision because The Decision is the moment he turns into the villain. And it, the, the villain role is essential to the LeBron story. It's why so many people still like Jordan. It's why people are still LeBron haters because they go, oh, like he joined, he joined the super team and he did all, when, when the Celtics did it before, I'll be the first to admit it, the Celtics did the whole super team thing before LeBron. So it wasn't a new thing, but just the way he did it and like kind of the, the cockiness that came with it and like the, the nobody else has ever done it that way before. And were there children in attendance? Like, was that, wasn't it like at a school or something? It was at a boys and girls club. Was it with like his foundation? Uh, something like that. It was in Akron, Ohio. it, It felt like, it felt like a very me, me, me moment when it, it was definitely a spur to the city of Cleveland. I think it was disrespectful to a lot of people and they still feel that way. LeBron has obviously kind of righted the ship in that sense. I was not a fan then. I am a fan of LeBron James now. Not a fan, but I I respect him. I think he's the best player ever, and that was certainly not a take I had when the decision came around and when he was in Miami. So, But it was just a little too theatrical to me in that setting and then for what he was ultimately going to do. So your, your verdict was trash? Trash, yeah. Uh, Tom, this is cash, and you know why it's cash? Because everyone forgets the most central part of the decision. All of the money from the decision was donated to the Boys and Girls Club that he was currently doing the press conference at. And it's the thing everyone forgets about the press conference. People are like, oh, he's so selfish. He did it all for him. It was just for the media hype. As he was donating the proceeds and forced ESPN to donate the ad money to the Boys and Girls Club. Like, how have we forgotten that part of that entire narrative? I think uh, Donovan Mitchell was in attendance, if I've read that correctly before, that he was at the uh, Boys and Girls Club the night LeBron James handed down the decision. He was very disappointed, as uh, he tells it. Uh, But yeah, and not to mention, you kind of mentioned it's central to the LeBron James story. It was the start, because this was Rich Paul's idea. and No, not Rich Paul, Maverick Carter's idea. And this was the start of LeBron James and Maverick Carter really creating the media empire that they have today, you know, with their overall deals with, you know, they have their show on HBO, they signed an overall deal with ABC recently, they're making all these TV shows, they're putting out a documentary about uh, athletes who like failed, I think, I just saw that today. So LeBron James, like you mentioned, this is essential to LeBron James. And he donated all the money. What more could you have asked for? People were mad that he did something to raise money for at-risk youth. Come on. Ridiculous. Tom, we're down to our final two. 
Tiger Woods, uh, at one point in his life, was um, not the best person. Let's leave it at that. He had some um, transgressions against his wife of the time, now ex-wife. And uh, he was forced to publicly apologize. I don't know why I'm laughing, but he had to publicly apologize for these. Uh, So (laughs) Tiger Woods' apology publicly for uh, his transgressions against his wife, cash or trash. Was, was that the verbiage that he used? Was it transgressions? That's the verbiage I'm using. My understanding is he apo- he basically apologized for, like, partying. Okay, I was going to say if transgressions was the verbiage he used, it's cash, because that's such a bad way to describe what he did. But I, I don't... This is just, like, a stain on Tiger's legacy, and I think... He was not a very good person in 2009, 2010. The whole, the whole kind of thing is just... Everything came up Tiger in the 2000s, and everything came up anti-Tiger those last two years. And this is just so quintessential, like, bad Tiger. And it's just trash because of what he represented it to, what he represented to so many people before, and then just kind of having this fall from grace. It, it, it's, it was hard to see, and it, it's trash. So my reason for why it's trash might not be the most uh, respected reason, but it's the right reason. If if you look at the uh, the screen grab kind of of him at that press conference, which I'm trying to find again, he has a really bad suit on for somebody who has that much money, and has he clearly did not get like a lineup or anything before he went and did this press conference. Like he doesn't even look like he cares. Like he was just like ah whatever. I'm I'm here to apologize or something. And it's just bad. It's really, really bad. And the best he could do was like, uh, it's, it's just so bad. Like he, he was basically apologizing for like being a party boy and drinking a lot and, you know, having a good time. And it was like, no, you cheated on your wife and then crashed into a tree as she, as she chased after you with a, what was it? Golf club. Like, yeah, it, it, it was just bad. Although it was such a fall, fall from grace for Tiger. I still still maybe the best golfer ever. I think he is the best golfer ever. But man, was this not a great moment for Tiger Woods? It's, it's got to be trash. Uh, one quick question. Who had a good suit in 2010? Like anybody? I don't. You talk about the bad suit. I think that was just more of a product of the era. I, I mean, he's not even wearing a tie. <laughs> That's not great. That's not great. I'm not going to lie. The no tie. Like, look he doesn't look like he cares. Great. Okay, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. And there's a, there's a lot of other things with uh, Tiger Woods that aren't great in his uh, his history. People should really look into those. He's uh, he he has some uh, not great quotes that I'm not going to read here today that people should look up. Um, last but certainly not least on Caster Trash episode today, running a little bit long because Caster Trash is worth it always. Uh, Tom, in the year of our Lord 2017, after what I would describe as an election that not many people saw coming uh donald trump elected president he has an inauguration of course um and then later i forget if it was that week that month it was very soon after sean spicer his press secretary claimed that it was the largest attendance ever for an inauguration photos quickly proved that that was of course not the case uh but tom what are your thoughts sean spicer claiming at this press conference that it was the largest inauguration ever. Was this press conference cash or trash? Did he leave or was he fired? I forget like what his his surrounding 
his dismissal from the White House press staff. I don't remember. I could look it up, but I'm either not, way, I think he was fired. But I don't either know. way, either way, this is the uh, this is the like this is the moment that Trump really starts to pull this 1984 strategy of just we're going to tell you whatever we want, and you're not going to believe it. There's going to be photo evidence that it is false. There are going to be people that claim it's false. There's going to be everything in their power that this statement is incorrect and we're going to ride with it. We're going to put all our chips in the pot on it. And it's cash to me weirdly because of how on brand and telling it ended up being for the last four years. And so for that, I'm going trash. And the fact that Spicer's not even there anymore, which like is weirdly the right thing to do because of how bad he was. And this administration's never done the right thing, but I'm going cash. All right. So you're wrong for one reason. It's trash. And here's the only reason you're wrong. There's only one way this could have been better. And it's if the mooch, Anthony Scaramucci, was the one saying this. Because my man would have said it with so much vigor in his voice, so much passion. He would have argued with reporters about how right he was. Sean Spicer was a little timid, kind of up there like, it was the largest inauguration ever. Yes, this is something I absolutely believe. I've seen the numbers. It's very true. Scaramucci would have been up there, guns a-blazing, talking about how, hey, this is the greatest the greatest ever. He's like very Italian. I can't really do it. I can't. I can't really do an Italian accent, but he would have done something like that. He would have been going absolutely wild. I discovered recently that either in 2008 or 2012, Anthony Scaramucci was at like a town hall for Barack Obama and he like recognized them. It was hilarious. Someone's got to go find that clip. But yeah, the mooch would have made this so much better. So for that reason, it's trash. Sean Spicer's boring. Trash. The mooch. Wow. That is, I would not have picked that reference to end the show. Come on, the, the mooch is always a place to end the show. The mooch is uh, maybe the only thing good thing the Trump administration has given us. I mean, I can't really think of much more. So, I mean, if you got anything to add to that list, uh, I'll take it. Not a chance. Well, Tom, it was a triumphant return, of course, of Cash or Trash. We'll try and do these more often because that was a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of bad press conferences. Shout out to Mike Nolan and his bland Tabasco sauce. Just... The worst of hot is there a worse hot sauce than Tabasco sauce? Uh, I've currently have store brand Walmart sauce in my pantry, and Tabasco might have it edged out, but it's close. It's going, it's it's going twelve rounds. Now, have you ever had the uh, the I think it's jalapeno Tabasco sauce? It's green instead of red. I don't think I have. It's a little thicker, which makes it a little bit better. I, it, it's serviceable. One time, it was all I had at my disposal, and I ate it. It was pretty good. It wasn't that garbage they give you uh, when it's, you know, liquid mess of hot sauce. But we'll leave it at that here today. Tom, do you have any final parting shots for the audience? Jerome, I'm sorry. I'll be better next time. But um, I didn't forget. I'm sorry. Jerome, we love and appreciate you. Thank you for giving us our one and only uh, five-star review with a comment. There are two other five-star reviews. So whoever you are who didn't leave a comment, thank you. But we would appreciate comments and questions. So we have other things to make fun of during the show. But for uh, those of you who haven't done it yet, go and leave us five-star review, comment, do all that jazz. You know, I said it already, whatever. Make sure you follow Tom on Twitter. Tom, what's your Twitter? Uh, at Tom underscore Shively. Uh, there we go. Tom underscore Shively. I'm at underscore Arroyo David. You can find those names in the description of this show. And for Tom Shively, I'm David Arroyo. Thanks for this mess that we call a lot going on. Wait, a lot going on? Wow, I didn't even get the name right. There's a lot going on.